Oh, okay. Can't move the tape. Sorry. Well, you can sit two rows back. You don't have to sit on the front row. I know, exactly. Well, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get started here. They'll go ahead and flip it over there. We'll do something a little different, kind of off kilter for Antioch. We'll actually start before we're supposed to start, uh, which, which is something new there. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. I, I do hate that we're in the auditorium because I do feel like we get so spread out and, and uh, kind of disconnected a little bit. But I wanted to take some time this morning and, and talk about the Holy Spirit, which is, which is kind of weird because I don't know why I'm teaching this. I, I, I could have I pulled out one of hundreds of lessons that I've done before, maybe as a youth minister or, or in some other way, but for some reason, Galatians 5 just kept hitting me over and over and over again this week. And so I've wrestled with this all week long um, on, on how to teach on the Spirit. So the Spirit, I guess, has been working on me in a sense in that. But I wanted to look a little bit about at the fruits of the Spirit, but also just that battle that we have as individuals between the spirit and the flesh, um, our own desires versus the, the spirit of God that works down and inside of us each and every day in all the different relationships that we have. This is a little story I just want to share. It says, at the close of an important speech to Congress on January 6, 1941, Franklin D. Roosevelt shared his vision of the kind of world he wanted to see after the war was over. He envisioned four basic freedoms to be enjoyed by all people. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, 
and freedom from fear. You know, to some degree, those freedoms have been accomplished uh, in the U.S. But there's one thing maybe he didn't address, and is that is that men, people, Christians need to be fear from the tyranny of sin. Because sin, it entangles us. It, 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 it suppresses all the good that is in us. And that is, that is that battle with the flesh. And so in Galatians here, um, I want to take some time and look at that and kind of contemplate what does it look like to live by the Spirit? Uh, you'll find in Galatians chapter, uh, really throughout the book of Galatians, there are 14 different references to the Holy Spirit in Galatians. And I want you to think of the Holy Spirit maybe a little differently than you have before, that the Holy Spirit is not simply this divine influencer. I mean, it is in a sense, but He is a divine person, just as the Father and the Son are divine characters. What God the Father planned for you, and God the Son purchased for you on the cross, God the Spirit personalizes for you and applies to your life as you yield to Him. And so the Spirit of God is a person that works within each and every one of us, trying to mold us into the image of God our Father. Uh, Romans 12 is a verse I go back to many, many times. It, it's kind of one that always kind of percolates um, in my mind, and that is that idea that we do not conform any longer to the path of this world, but we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as we do that, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so the Spirit works as that transformer. It is trying to mold us and make us, kind of like you know, jars of clay, trying to, trying to mold us and make us into the person God intended us to be before the world got involved and before sin crept into the world and became part of what we struggled with. And so in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26, you see these kind of three ministries of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law. You know, Jesus came, He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if you remember later on, later on in, I think in Luke and in John, He said, it's better that I leave that I might send someone to you, a helper, someone to come in and basically to dwell inside of you. And so at that point, the Spirit of God lives inside of us and helps us and helps turn us into who we need to be. And so in that essence, the, the, the law has been fulfilled through the Spirit, the law of love. It enables us to overcome the flesh. It puts within us a desire. It puts within us a, a, a counselor to lean into when we want to go contrary to what it is that God wants us to do. And then it enables us to produce fruit. You know, the, the fruits of the Spirit, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is not a... What's the song? How's the song go? You can speak up. I know we're in an auditorium. Oh, I thought Ellie was going to sing it for me. But we have this fruit within us that... that comes from being in tune or in touch with the Spirit of God. A lot of times, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea, this concept of fulfilling the law of love. You know, a lot of times we try to, we kind of go to this, the extremes. I think we get into this 
kind of a legalistic view of things versus maybe, I don't know what the opposite of legalistic would be, maybe a libertarian side of things. And, and so we kind of we hit these extremes at times on either side where I think the Spirit, somewhere in between those two things, is where the Spirit wants us to live, wants us to, to kind of find our being. The Christian is free from all these things, free from guilt, free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin in our daily lives, free from the law with its demands and threats. And so if you have the Spirit of God living in you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ and you have the Spirit of God, then you're, you're free from all these things. The challenge is to allow, and I'm, I'm speaking personally here, the challenge for me personally is to take that message and move it from my head to my heart. To allow the Spirit of God to work in me in such a way that I believe that. that, that that's always been a struggle for me. And, and I fear, you know, I, didn't, I did not grow up in churches of Christ, and it's funny because people will say, well, churches of Christ, this, this, and this. Um, th there tends to be this um, designation of legalism kind of within churches of Christ. And, and I think with that, with that designation, comes that idea that the law just rules over us, that sin rules over us. But we are free from guilt. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from sin in our daily lives. I mean, that, that price has been paid. And so trying to figure out how do we live out of that means that we need to be in step with the Spirit. And the caution here is, is not to allow your liberty to devolve to license. You know, uh, Paul talks about this in Romans. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, surely not. I mean, he's asking kind of a rhetorical question. It's like, well, you know, if you've, you've got all the freedom you want to have and you have all the grace you want to have, then go do what you want to do. Here's the difficulty in that. If you have liberty and you add love to that, then that should equal service to others. It means you want to go out and out of the liberty that you have, coupled with love, you want to go and serve others. It, it's a motivator. Um, you know, James talks about, he says, you know, do not merely listen to the word, <clears throat> excuse me, but do what it says. And, and so doing more than just accepting the Spirit, but also taking that which, which you've accepted and applying it to your life. And so, yes, we have liberty. We are free from sin. Galatians chapter 5. You guys have your Bibles turned there. I'm going to read just a, a section here from Galatians chapter 5. You can go up there on your phones if you want to. And I'm going to read, um, I know I said we were going to focus on 13 through the end of the chapter, but I want to read the first 13 verses because there's something that's going on here uh, that has to do with freedom. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let that sink in. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay, Paul. Paul's writing this. Paul was probably one of the biggest burdeners of a yoke of slavery that, that ever existed prior to his, 
interaction with, with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so Paul was one who all he did, all he wanted to do was apply the law. He wanted, and he wanted to take that, and he wanted to take that law, and he wanted to yoke people with it. He wanted to, them to carry that weight of trying to obey the law. It was all about the law. And so for him to say what he's saying here is, is pretty, uh, pretty crazy for him to say this. And then he, he gets very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Adamant about this. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised. Now, there were some people, there was this group called the Judaizers, and they were coming in and they were basically telling people, yeah, you might follow Christ, but, but you still need to be circumcised. Um, you know, that, that's something that wouldn't be un- uncommon, that would be very uncommon to our culture today to force someone. But this was like a religious act that they were doing. And so that, these people, these Galatians, were basically saying they're going to follow the old law. And Paul's saying, don't do that. And so he goes into this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will have no value to you at all. So if you try to follow this law to the to the to that extent, then at that point what you're doing is you're saying, well, what Christ did was was not important because I still need to follow the law. It's this battle that's going on there. Um, again, I declare to you, I declare to uh, to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. Those that have have been alienated from Christ, and so he says, "Yeah, go ahead. If you want to be circumcised, then guess what? You have to obey the entire law." And I think at that point, basically, what uh, what the Pharisees had done at the time is they had taken the original Ten Commandments and they had expounded that to over 700 different laws that you had to follow. And if you could follow those 700, I I think it was actually a little less than 700, 700 laws, then you could be pure. Then you would be holy. Then you would be set apart. And so Paul is saying, don't, if you decide to do this, then you're going to have to follow all of those laws, all of those different laws. Um, Been alienated for Christ, verse 5, but by faith we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness for which uh, for which we hope. For if Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so liberty plus love results in service to others. And so if we can somehow attain and understand on a, on a deeper level that God has forgiven us, that God has taken away that yoke of the law, and from that add love to it, then our desire would be to go and to serve others. When you have liberty but you take away law, then that's where you get into that idea, or take away love, that's where you get in that idea of just, it's license to sin. It's like, it's like, I can do whatever I want. And I don't have to worry about how it affects anybody else. I don't have to worry about that. If you get into that mentality, that is that, that is that slavery to sin. Then if you have no liberty, and then you add love to it, which, let me say something just for a second, because... I feel like there are so many people like this 
And, and, and I, I fall into this category sometimes where I don't fully accept the grace that has been shown to me, but I love people. I mean, I do. I really care about people and I want to do what's right and I, I push myself to do those things. And I think what happens is it's this service to self. It becomes the, um, you know, the idea that somehow I can prove myself. I can do just enough to, to prove to God that I'm worthy of that love. It, it's like this constant desire to want to, um, want to somehow be worthy of that which Christ did for you. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with the Enneagram? Some of you guys are familiar with the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, that type of thing. So I, I, I think when I read about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 3. Okay, Enneagram 3s, they're the performers. Um, they, they, one of their deepest values is to be loved and to be respected. But sometimes they, they, they want that so badly that, that they kind of go along with the crowd sometimes. I don't think I fall as much there. I'm not, I don't really go along with the crowd as much. But I do like to be, I like to be valued and I like to be respected. But I think I base it on my performance it's based on, it's, a, it's a more of a performance based. And so that's that idea of the law. And so this idea with no liberty plus love, sometimes it becomes self-serving. And, and Enneagram 3s can kind of get in an unhealthy place sometimes as a result of that. The only way that I know to get away from these things and to, to really focus on liberty plus love and to kind of be in that first category is to not allow that Holy Spirit to just work in a vacuum. And, and here's what I mean by that. I, I think that a lot of times we're just kind of like, well, I've been baptized. You know, the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, that Holy Spirit is living with inside of us. And so now that it is, I'm good. I'm good to go. God's Spirit lives in me. We have to somehow cultivate that. We have to help that Spirit to grow. And you know, some of, the, some of these things, you know, uh, Stephen Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Disciplines. Um, if, if you ever, ever want to really just focus on uh, maybe one of these disciplines like being in Scripture or prayer, uh, worship, fellowship with believers, um, Foster takes some of those things in Celebration of Disciplines, he breaks them down into different categories. Uh, one of the things with prayer, he has a whole book on prayer that quite honestly has been probably one of the uh, most formational um, books for me in my life. Uh, this book on prayer, Richard, Richard Foster's book on prayer. But if we want the Holy Spirit to, to work and to grow, and we want to recognize that Spirit in us, then we, we can't do that in a vacuum. I mean, we, we have got to get into the Word of God. We have got to, we have to pray. And prayer, prayer is something that for me, at times, I, I think it becomes kind of a rote thing to do. You know, uh, prayer, prayer at meals, it's going to sound bad, it doesn't count. I mean, it counts. Um, but, you know, a prayer before a meal is one thing. A prayer with your spouse for, for no reason at all just to come together and pray, doesn't that have a little bit more weight to it than, than maybe a prayer for a meal? Uh, when you're talking to God with someone that you care about or maybe a prayer with your children... Um, I, I'll still, when we started this pandemic and in, in, um, back in March and we started having our, uh, kind of doing our uh, service 
in our living room and we had all of our kids there. I still will never forget the time we all got on our knees and we prayed together during communion on our living room floor. Um, you know, that was one of those good things, some of those offshoots that kind of came out of this pandemic, some of those times we pulled together with family and had those times. Um, th there is something really special about prayer. It is very difficult if, if Aaron and I are arguing about something to pray together sometimes. Because what it does, it pushes us kind of back out of that, that service to self and pushes us into service to others. It makes us lean into God and what He can do versus what we can do on ourselves, uh, do as ourselves. So fulfilling the law of love. This next one, that to overcome the flesh. The Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. I don't know about you guys, but I find myself like Paul right here sometimes. I do not understand what I do, for, I, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. For what I, for what I do is I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's a tongue twister. But... Anybody, anybody been there before? It's like, man, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't get angry. I know I shouldn't fill in the blank. I know I shouldn't do these things, but I just, I end up back into them, like all the time. Um, when, when Aaron and I started dating in high school, um, I was 16, uh, sophomore, sophomore year. I asked Aaron out on a dare, because I, I used to talk about her all the time, about how much I liked her, but I'd never say a word to her. And I had a buddy, and so he's like, all right, well, if you ask her out, then I'll ask this girl out, and you go first. And Anyway, so we started dating, and um, man, I cussed like a sailor. I mean, I was just, that was just part of my language. And, and if you were ever in my home, <laughs> you would understand why. I mean, it's just, it's like a conjunction, you know, just to throw, throw a cuss word in there. And so for me, I, I just did not... I did not understand the gravity of that. And, and, and cussing is not the end-all sin. This is just an example of, of something that I struggled with. But for, for the longest time, I had to really work at that uh, to, get that out of my, to get that out of who I was. I mean, it was a habitual thing that I did all the time. And I remember Aaron and I, we were playing, I think we were playing rummy, and she beat me, and I said the D word, and she slapped me. And um, she's like, she goes, what'd you say? And I think, I think, she didn't slap me hard, but I think it was like, she was like, I can't believe you just said that. Because I had done a really good job of managing it around her, but not kind of in other areas of my life. And so kind of in that moment, because I am a super, super competitive person, um, in that moment of, of loss when she beat me in rummy, I blurted a word. I just threw it out there. It was that, that inner battle, you know, that, that I think kind of we all go through with different things. Um, I, th there are times, believe me, over my life, I have just been so short with my kids and so quick to, uh, to discipline versus to sit down and try to understand what they're going through and explain it. You know, I love uh, James Dobson and some of the stuff that, that he's written. I've read some excerpts from Bringing Up Boys. And, and one of the things that he always says, he says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So, it, you know, you can, 
you can have all these rules in, in place, but you, if you don't have the relationship, then the kid goes to rebellion. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is saying right here. Because if we try to follow that law, if we try to stay in the law, and we try to cross our T's and dot our I's and go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and so forth and so on, we try to, to do all the right things, especially when someone's watching. If we try to do all those things, at this point, it's just all about the rules. But the other stuff, the stuff we just looked at, a lot of this is about relationship. It's like we've got, to, we've got to move to a different place. We have to get away from all these rules and we have to start seeing God as someone that we have a relationship with. We have to see the Holy Spirit as someone that we have a relationship with, that we're talking to, that we're, we're, we're building and growing in that relationship with one another. And so when we get to this point right here, although we will never be perfect, obviously, um, we do not conform to the power of this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so my mind, when I was 16-year-old Andrew, had a pathway that went straight to vulgarity. I mean, that, that's what I did. I got angry and I cussed or I yelled. Um, and, and really, probably over the process of a couple of years, I, I began to work that out. I began to, to kind of figure that out a little bit. I, I'll never forget the first time I cussed in front of my mom, and then I said, well, you do it all the time. And she looked at me, and she told me to go get a switch. <laughs> and so, and, and, and when mom would, well, a few years earlier, I'm chasing a rabbit here. A few, a few years earlier, she had been spanking me with a belt, and I started laughing while she was spanking me with a belt, because it really didn't hurt that bad. Don't do that. That's, that's not a good plan. So, uh, so she said, go get a switch. And then she put that across the back of my legs and I paid attention. Um, but we have, to, we have to find that way to, to change those pathways. And see, I think Paul here, as he was, he, I don't think his was sin necessarily. Um, I'm sure Paul struggled with sin for sure. I think what Paul really struggled with was that trying to fulfill the law. I think he was constantly still trying to cross T's and dot I's and not lean into a relationship with God. I think all the time, he, in the back of his mind, he was probably running that law in the back of his mind constantly because that's the way, those were the pathways in his mind that he had come to. And so for him to do this, this was when he's talking to the people, uh, the Galatians here about not being circumcised, I mean, years before that, he was telling people they had to be. You have to do this. This is what you have to do. And now he's kind of shifted gears and moved into more the relational side of things. So trying to overcome the flesh. And flesh is, is not just the body. I mean, the body kind of has its, its those desires. So when you hear the word flesh, it's talking about those desires. Our old nature, I found this... Um, oh, I should, have, I should have given credit. Um, our old nature is like the pig and the raven, always looking for something unclean on which to feed. Our new nature is like the sheep and the dove, yearning for that which is clean and holy. You know, Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about if anyone's in Christ or new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And so now it's, it's that 
that new nature. It's that new self that's put inside of you. And so trying to, and, and, and trying to figure out a way to, to lean into that, to lean into that nature that God has now put inside of you. Um, Galatians, in, in verse 18 right here we see, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, a, a big statement uh, for, for Paul to make here. And then in verse 24, now those who belong to, G- to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, no doubt Paul was, was pointing people back to what Jesus did on the cross. Crucified the flesh. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, you know, that idea of um, repentance... Um, some of you may have, may have heard this before, but basically repentance means a 180 degree turn, uh, basically is what it is. And so you're moving in one direction and you're going to make a 180 degree turn and move in the other direction. It's where at one point we were moving away from God and we turn and make a 180 degree turn and point toward God. Well, when that happens, all those things that we were focused on, all those things that we desire in our life, are behind us. They're behind us now. And we're moving forward into a, into a new direction. Um, in Hebrews, which a lot of people think Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm, I'm not convinced of it. But he says, um, you know, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That is the direction in which we're moving. That's where we fix our eyes. The author and perfecter of our faith. And so... Once you have become a Christian, you have crucified the, crucified the flesh and all the desires that come with that. All right, so how do we overcome the flesh? You're going to see a pattern here. Same thing. Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. We have got to cultivate that. We've got to figure out ways to work it out of our lives. Uh, th- there's, a, uh, there's a book by John Ortberg... Um, another one of those books that was really formational for me. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted. And then in, in a little subheading, it says, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. That's me. I'm, I'm an ordinary person. And so uh, if the Foster stuff, Stephen Foster can get a little heady sometimes, but, but John Ortberg really puts it kind of more in kind of layman terms in a sense. Uh, but in his, in his book, he, he talks about a couple of things. One, one that always stuck out to me was the unhurried life. I haven't quite gotten that one down yet. Uh, but he has a whole chapter on slowing down, getting in the long line at the grocery store, like teaching yourself and disciplining yourself to be patient. I just said, get in the long line at the grocery store. And Mary goes, <gasps> like she like took a really deep breath. Like, like, oh my goodness, are you serious? Why would you get in the long line at the grocery store? But it's that practice of slowing your hurried life down just a little bit. Um, but he has another, um, another verse or another chapter talking about arranging your life. So you arrange your life in such a way that sin, that these fleshly desires are not, not as appealing to you. And so um, one of the things he talks about, you know, one, one of the things I think that we deal with a lot in our culture, dealing with more, especially our kids and especially with phones and accessibility is all these, all these sexual things that our kids can get into right now. Um, you know, some of the pornography and, and just crazy stuff that they can get into, and it's all right there, and they can get to it so quickly. You know, Ortberg, he, 
in this book, it, it dates it a little bit, but he talked about if you have a trouble, if you're having trouble with purity and it's because of your computer, then, but you have to be on your computer because you're at work, what you do is you rearrange your office and you, you, you make your screen so that anybody who walks up to the door can see what's on your screen. And so what you're doing is you're creating accountability for yourself. And so if you think about, um, you know, I learned a few years back that sometimes I need to sit in my car for a few minutes before I come in the house. And Erin and with Life360, she'll say, oh, Andrew's home. But Andrew's not coming in the door, you know. And, and so she'll look out. And she's like, oh, he's, he's in his car. So she'll send me a text. She'll say, are you okay? I said, I just need to take a minute and just decompress just for a few, few minutes before I, before I walk through the door and, and, and greet my family. So at that point, I've, I'm trying to do those little things to kind of arrange my life in such a way so that I don't get upset. I just need to, just need to take a little bit of a breath before I walk in the door. Um, these are all things that you can do to help overcome the flesh and allow the Spirit to, to work within your life. And then the last thing is uh, produce fruit. The Spirit enables us to produce fruit. Uh, it's, one thing, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but it's quite something else to actually do good things. So I think there are a lot of people that say, Paul would say this, he says, I keep the law. I cross all the T's, I dot all the I's. Um, but then, what do you do with that? I mean, do you actually go out and, and, and put things into practice, or you just try really hard not to be bad? I think the church sometimes gets, a, gets, a, gets that kind of rap at times, um, that, that we, just, we just try not to be bad, instead of going out and actually doing good on the other side of it. Um, I found this quote, negative goodness is not enough in a life. Um, that idea that, you know, hey, as long as I'm not doing bad things, then, then I'm good. You know, everything, everything will be okay. Um, you have to think about this idea of works versus fruit. Works, like a works-based faith, is all about effort. It's about labor. It's about strain. Um, fruit is about beauty and quietness and growth. It, it, it's, it's about moving in, in a better direction instead of just staying stagnant where you are. And the result is, is that love produces more love and joy produces more joy. And as you go through those different fruits of the Spirit, you know, we, we've got the songs that we sing that kind of talk about them, but there's, there's really three categories of fruits of the Spirit here. First, you kind of have those Godward fruits, uh, love, joy, and peace. Those are things that, uh, that God's Spirit gives us as individuals. And really, they all kind of hinge on love. All these, all these fruits that we're going to look at here just real quick, they all hinge on love. Love has to be involved in it. Um, and then you have these outward fruits. These are fruits that you are kind of putting out there for other people's. Remember, this is for other people's advantage, not, not our own. And that's patience, kindness, goodness. You know, being good is, is actually like putting love into action in some ways. And then you have kind of these self-word fruits, um, faith, meekness, temperance. Um, the, the idea of meekness, a lot of people, I think, kind of have a misconception of what meekness is. Meekness is not lack of power. It's not, it's not like a, a lack of strength. It's actually the right use of power and authority. Um, some of the biggest, toughest guys that I know or most successful guys I know are some of the meekest men that I know. Some of our elders are like this. 
I mean, they, 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 they have a lot of authority, but they choose to use their authority for the benefit of someone else. And so as we're thinking about fruits of the Spirit, you know, I think probably the one that I, I really probably struggle with the most would, would probably be that idea of temperance or self-control. Um, I find myself, I have to really arrange my life constantly. Um, I think I'm a little ADD. My wife could probably confirm that. And so this idea of producing fruit. Again, here we go again, the, the theme over and over again. Fruit growing climate, being the word, prayer, worship, fellowship of believers. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, there's a, a section there where Paul's talking about these things that we should, we should focus on. So he gets in, he talks about we can do all things through Christ. Um, he talks about this peace that passes understanding. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. You see what's happening is you're, you're leaning into that growing climate. You're leaning into that and then God gives you that peace that kind of comes over things. And he says... And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so as... As we focus on those things, again, we're, we're creating this almost like a, a greenhouse for the Spirit to grow in our lives and for us to move into that direction. We must remember that fruit is produced to be eaten, not to be admired and put on display. People around, around us are starving. People around us, are, they're starving for love and joy and peace and all other fruits of the Spirit. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. It's not so that, that we can benefit from it. We bear fruit that others might be fed and helped and that Christ ultimately would be glorified. Get in the Word. Pray together. Find opportunities to, to show goodness, to, to move outside of yourself to put love into action. And I promise you that if you do those things, the Spirit of God will be strong. It's going it's to work inside of you and through you in, in your relationships with your spouse, in your relationships with your kids, in your relationships with coworkers. Um, I, I thought it was so cool last night during our Nerf Wars. Um, I did not come prepared. Brian Hutchins was prepared. Brian came, he had like back, Jonathan Lindsay was prepared, okay? These guys had like fully automatic Nerf guns. I mean, just mowing kids down everywhere. I, I didn't bring a gun. I just thought I'll get by on my good looks, which that's not a good plan for me. Uh, but I, somebody gave, I had two pistols. Somebody gave me these two little pistols. Pew, pew. <laughs> and and, and they, they shot three bullets, you know, it's like... I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. I hadn't, I hadn't gone through that process of, of just thinking about, man, how, do, how am I successful here? 
we, we as, a, as Christians, as individuals, we can't just wait for the Spirit to do its thing. We, we've got to feed it, and we have to grow it. And then we have to go out and we have to do all the things that God has called us to do and do it for the glory of God, not for ourselves and what we do. Let, let's pray together and then we'll, uh, we'll be done. Father, thank you. Thank you for your spirit, Father. I, 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 uh, I for one, just apologize for the times that, that I, I quench that spirit, times I don't lean into um, to that gift that you've given me. And Father, I pray that, that we as a, as a body of believers here at Antioch and really just believers throughout this city and this world that we allow your spirit to work in and through us, that we can, that we can glorify you, that others may glorify you, Father, that, that people will look at us and realize there's something different about us, not because of any power we have, but because of that spirit, because of your spirit that lives in us. Uh, Father, thank you that we're able to have class this morning. What a blessing it is just to be able to gather and, and the excitement that comes with that. Thank you for all those who are down the halls teaching our kids and allowing your spirit to use and work through them. Uh, Father, be with our church this year. Uh, help point us um, in the right direction, Father, and help us to do everything for your glory. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all. appreciate it. Thanks for coming to class.